Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times on Sundays in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running a homebrew Eberron game. So that's been a lot of fun and interesting, interesting times uh, breaking away from published adventures. This show, like all of the material you get from Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the Sly Flourish patrons. If you want to be a patron of Sly Flourish, you too can help uh, support the show by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish. You'll get a monthly newsletter in which I go over all of the various things that I've been able to release, release for Sly Flourish thanks to your support. And you will have access to a, uh, an adventure that is only available to patron backers of Sly Flourish called Regnum Rattus, The Rats in the Cellar. This is a one-to-five adventure in which the characters visit their friend uh, Eli Marrow and find out why the rats underneath his inn are going crazy. It's a, it's a good time. Uh, thanks to everybody who hung around after my failed introduction attempt. Sometimes I am not ready, not as ready as I would like to think I am. So, well, we got a lot of people here today. Evil John is here. Hey, my mom is here. Hello, mom. Stark Knight is here. He's not your problem is here. Man, lots of people are already showing up. That's awesome. So let's see. Uh, I Yeah, so I've been running a ton of D&D games online now uh, and playing in a, playing at least one. I'm playing in a Traveler game I was just playing with my, my friend. My friend uh, James Rouse was running yesterday. And um, yeah, so playing and running a lot of games, writing a lot about games, doing a lot of stuff with games, and we'll talk about a lot of that. My three games that I've been running regularly now are two Eberron games, both both based on generally the same storyline and plot that you're seeing here today, a Wednesday game and a Sunday game. And then my uh, Descent into Avernus game, which is every other week, and we were doing it on Saturdays, but now we're doing it on Fridays. And because it's on a Friday, I don't really have a chance to do a show in which I prep for that game. I have a, a, about three or four episodes of this prep show for Avernus. But unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it for all of them. So I'd like to find a way to do that, though. I think that would be nice. I can certainly write articles about it on Sly Flourish. So there is, there is that. And, um, but I don't know about um, how I'll be able to do this show on Fridays because my Fridays are very busy. Uh, Encounters uh, RSR70 says, Encounters in Sharn is free for another day. Yeah, so one of the really cool things, Wizards of the Coast has been releasing a lot of material for free uh while we're all stuck at home and uh yeah i guess one of them is encounters in sharn i already i already own it but if you don't now's a good chance to get it right uh so shout says where do we get it click the link that's right up above you four links above there's a free materials link let's see i will uh let's all take a look together Free materials if you go to wizards.com remote free material you get a whole list yes i agree to whatever uh, and this week's content, and so the, a lot of times they have a D&D Adventures League adventure for free. It's about $5. Riddle the Raven Queen Adventure 5 to 10 levels is free through May 23rd. And they, they cycle through. So you want to grab them you want to grab them while you can. And Encounters in Sharn, right, May th- through May 25th. So you have today to pick it up, right? If you click on here, it goes to the DMs Guild. And look at that, zero. And it was done by a whole bunch of people. Uh, Will Doyle, James Intercasso, Greg Marks, Sean Merwin, Alan Patrick, Ashley Warren, Travis Woodall, lots of people involved in that. So 37 ranks, you know, yeah, so it's a, it's a cool book. It's an interesting, uh, an interesting approach. They did not do the, um, the Waterdeep City Encounters style um, because the actual Eberron book has a lot of that stuff in it. 
So they instead did sort of short encounters, right? That's why it's called Encounters in Sharn. Um, and that's because it's larger scenes. Like they're, they're, they're more filled out. I think it's an interesting experiment. I kind of I prefer the city, the Waterdeep city encounter style because it has so much more. And I, I usually don't need much more. So it's interesting. Like what's the right size for an encounter? For, 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 you know, a random encounter. What's the right size of information that you should give to a, a DM? And I have a feeling, as DMs, we all have a different opinion on this. So my opinion is not representative of all DMs. Uh, or even, I don't even know a subset. It's representative of one DM. But I like, I think I need more than a straight random encounter. I need more than 1D4 where rats, right? Because I could just do that, right? Uh and instead, and I don't need a full like one page or two page spread with a map and all of that stuff because that feels like an adventure to me. I'm not going to just drop that in the middle, right? That feels like an adventure. But when you look at like uh, city encounters and it has like two or three, like one to three sentences, right? And it's short. It's still like a tiny little block of text. And it talks about like what the were rats are doing. So it might say something like 1D4 were rats are playing a weird game in which they're kicking around a, you know, a humanoid skull, right? And you're like, what's that? You know, so you want just enough to say what makes this encounter different. And I think the Waterdeep City encounters uh, had a, you know, a, a wider, you know, just bigger than what you would get from a normal random encounter, but not a full page. And if you look at, I think, I think in the Eberron, yeah, if you look at the Eberron source book here, let's do a quick... Quick look. Actually, well, instead of the physical book, which none of you can see, uh, let's actually look at what they are doing inside um, Sharn. Uh, I think they have it right in here. So this is the D&D Beyond version of um, uh, Eberron rising from the last war. So it's the same as what you'd have in the book. And, you know, so here's like a 1d8 falling, right? And each one's got like a sentence, right? Two sentences. You fall 44 plus five feet and strike an outcropping flagpole. If you survive, you're still precariously perched on the edge. Just enough to say, you know, a little bit more. Um, you know, a hippogriff flies by, you can try to catch its leg. So, you, you know, one sentence, I really like the idea of like one sentence or two sentence um, uh, random encounters, uh and i think i can't remember I, maybe it's not in here um it might be in the adventures in sharn section let's let's go uh adventures in sharn so life in the city right you have these adventure seeds um that's not exactly a random encounter home base here we go lower street lower sharn street events right and you can see like they just throw it right into a table Thin human child has been following you but never gets too close. She keeps coughing, and you can see red marks on her neck that might be an aberrant dragon mark. Just enough, right? Uh, an ogre uh, eating several rats on a skewer spits out a rodent skull at your feet, right? Doesn't quite run up and attack you. Young women, you know, so all of these, and they're not, they're not, and especially because it's in the middle of Sharn, they're not all combating. In fact, very few of them look like combat encounters. Four orcs jab at an ochre jelly with long staffs trying to herd the ooze into the sewers. Right, like, how do the characters react to this? This is, this is, I, I, to me, this is the exact, this is the, the, the perfect size for like a random encounter table. I really like this style, upper city, upper Sharn Street events. Uh, I kind of wish they had more, right? So they have lower, upper, and Skyway. I could use Cogs. I could use more of these, even if they're like one d twenties instead of d one hundreds. Um, I could use more of them for some of the other more likely places to go, like the cogs or 
um, what's the district that's right outside the cogs that the DASC have, right? And you can sort of tailor them. Um, you know, I would I would dig more of those, I think, because I find them very useful. To me, this is a great lazy tool to just fill in some space in the game, right? The characters are heading somewhere, roll a die, see where it goes. And many times those those encounter tables will take your entire adventure in an interesting direction. And that's what it's about. And a lot of people are like, I don't like that because it breaks away from the plot. I've heard this before that like random, you know, a, a common argument about random encounters is that they're random and we're DMS and we should be doing the hard work of making th- encounters that aren't random. And I can see that side, you know, it's not, it's not totally wrong, but um, <laughs> I don't know if it's wrong at all. Um, but I think that, really interesting creativity in our D and D games comes from mixing like human brains with random results. And that's why we roll dice. Like, you know, if we really were plotting it out, we wouldn't even have the characters roll dice on attacks. We tell them whether they hit or miss. I'm being extreme, but you know, that, that, that idea that like, you know, events can't go. I think if your story is so rigid that a random encounter is going to take it away, you know, then your story's too rigid, right? Like sometimes random encounters can actually be very interesting. So, um, and I've talked to a lot of other, other folks that are in the, in the, in the creative world of D and D who agree that like mixing human brains and human creativity with random, with random shoves, uh, can really matter. Um, and, and this is, this exists in other elements of creativity. There's a, um, one of my favorite bits of, uh, ambient music is done by a guy named Brian Eno. Brian Eno was a music producer and a musician himself. And, uh, he puts out his own albums, but he also like produced a lot of people, including like, um, who, who did he do? Uh, did he do? Uh, I think he did Genesis and Phil Collins. And I think he uh, produced albums for David Bowie, if I recall, but I might be, I might be wrong on that. And he had a thing called oblique strategies, which was like a deck of cards with all of these crazy, um, you know, crazy things. Let's see if we can find it real, real quick. Um, There's almost always an online, Let's just do it online. See if this one does it. Water. Right? How clear is that? Water. So he has a deck of <laughs> he has a deck of cards with all of these things on it. And and they're the inconsistency principle, right? Their goal was to like you would pick one of these cards out and you'd read that and you'd kind of let that steer your you know, steer your thoughts about something. And um, I think they're pretty cool, even though like, yeah, you know, they're, they're pretty heady when you're like the inconsistency principle, like things are inconsistent, right? Like, you know, you can think like, okay, in D and D, right? Like what's the weird thing that can happen? Like if it's inconsistent, you know, what's the odd event that, that takes place regularly, right? Um, I don't even know what that word means. Accretion. I gotta go define that. Process of growth or increase typically of gradual accumulation of additional. Okay, yeah. So how does how do things build on top of one another, right? How do things grow by by getting more stuff on top of them? So anyway, um, what's my point? So uh, he, Brian Eno believed heavily that this that throwing these cards out there um, would uh, kind of shake up the creativity of musicians and create and and shake up creative creativity in general. And I like that idea a lot. And I, I, I actually stole some of the ideas of oblique strategies for the D and D tips that I put out. Some of my tips are very specific, but I have a few that are very general and they're written like this. They're like, you know, I, I can't even think of any, um, uh, you know, two thugs in the woods, 
right? Or, or something like that. But the idea is like you just want something that sort of shakes your mind because our brains fall into ruts. And when we fall into a rut, we just stay in there and we go with like, you know, um, stereotypical situations and like cliche, you know, situations. And when we can just roll a die and, can, you know, look at a table and it suddenly shifts us a little bit. You know, we can come up with really interesting stories. So I, I, I'm a huge believer in um, random, adding randomness and like random tables and random charts to our D and D games and and you know to our prep to our D and D prep. I, that's why um, I have a ton of these in uh, the Lazy DMs workbook. Right, Lazy DMs workbook has you know it, it, I, I always thought of this book as the like a dmg companion this is the other book you would have, and, the, and the companion to the return which is like this is the book that you'd have on your table all the time was was my general idea it gives a bunch of references on how you do things a bunch of tables that you're going to reference relatively often how do you handle act you know actions cover light these i actually reached out to a lot of people and asked like what are what are what are the tables and what are the things you need to reference often and i threw those in here uh, quick encounter building, running large number, numbers of monsters. I have an article, by the way, uh, on Monday about running large numbers of monsters that I think is better than this one. So I don't know what we're going to do about that. Probably nothing. But, you know, there's an article on my website that I think supersedes this, or at least, I, I mean, this one works, but I have one that I think I like better. Uh, and I also think that the idea of the pooling hit points, I think I came at it from the wrong direction in here. And I think the better direction for pulling hit points is counting up instead of counting down. So don't, don't create a giant pool of 758 hit points and subtract 19 from it every time. You'll go crazy doing that. But, however, if you say, like, every monster has 15, you know, skeletons. Every skeleton has 10 hit points. Every time the de- current damage tally crosses over 10, I, I remove a skeleton. I roll over the damage, you know, and, and move on from there. I, I, I remove a monster and roll, subtract 10 and re- roll over the damage. And if they do 28, I take two monsters away and put eight, right? And that way you're constantly tally. It's called the damage tally. That's what I'm calling it anyway. And the damage tally is you're constantly increasing the amount of damage. So that way, if you have 50 skeletons and they all have 10 hit points, the only number you actually have to keep track of is how many skeletons are there? What are the hit points of the skeletons and how much damage has that pile currently taken? And if that, if that number of damage... If the pile of if the amount of damage it has taken ever crosses over ten, you remove a skeleton, or any number of skeletons, depending on any number divisible by ten. So if they take twenty nine points of damage, you remove two skeletons, roll over nine, and it's very fast and very simple, and it scales with any number of monsters. You could do a thousand monsters that way if you wanted, um, and you're just going to ding 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 ding, um, and it it works pretty well. And then for the attacks and saving throws, I have like the number of successes depending on the result. My new default is just assume a quarter of them succeed on a saving throw or succeed on their attacks and then change the quarter up or down, uh, you know, add a monster or subtract a monster depending on the, the circumstances. So if you're hitting somebody with a very high AC, maybe they don't get hit by one in four, they get hit by one in five or one in six or one in 10. Uh, same for saving throws. And if they have advantage, you just double it, right? So if, if you know, instead of one in four, it's half. Um, if they, if the monster has advantage, if they're disadvantage, you could just say like, they all miss. Right. And the key is like, you can keep some numbers in your head instead of referencing a chart. And, and I think that that is valuable. So the damage tally, keeping a current damage tally and assuming one quarter succeed or fail. Uh, those are really like the two big pieces of running large numbers of monsters. Anyway, an article is coming, not tomorrow. I think I, yeah, not tomorrow, but Tuesday, cause tomorrow's Memorial day and I don't put out articles on holidays. Um, so cause nobody reads them on holidays. They read them at work. Uh, so that will be out Tuesday, but I think it's a pretty powerful situation. Anyway, I wasn't talking about that madness. I love madness. Um, so now you get into random tables, right? I have a whole bunch of random fantasy names that I threw in here. You know, you Sybil, 
Bronze knee, you know, you can just build a name from here. Random traps, damage severity of traps, random monuments, you know, origin, condition, unusual effects, monument structure, love that stuff. Random items, you know, you have a chipped primeval quarterstaff, you know, like you can immediately come up with really interesting things. And the DMG has stuff like this too. And that, that works, that works particularly well. Uh, you start in a veteran, you start in a red, what's that? Hate tavern starts. Uh, sounds like 1970s to me. Yeah, he's not your problem. That David Bowie. Was it David Bowie? Yeah, that deck is awesome. I'm just sorry, I'm just reading the comments. The Wizard Desk giving cash shield. Yeah, so Snark Knight says so you have like, you know, you're attacked by 10 skeletons and three of them are going to hit you. You round up, right? Three of them are going to hit you. And the wizard says, oh, I'm casting shield. And you go, okay, only one of them now hits you. In your head, you could just say, what makes sense? And if a guy's AC goes up by five, five that probably mean two more people are going to miss, right? So you can, sort of, you can sort of change that. And I think the only real weakness of that is people expect that you're going to roll a die and you're not. You're just making up a number. And, and so you kind of have to work with it. But it's so much faster to handle it that way. And I've heard some good thoughts about how to do this and still roll dice, which I didn't really talk about in the article, such as um, you look at the total number of monsters that are attacking a character and the, and, and the total amount of damage they would take and then divide it by four and then you roll attack rolls and every attack roll that hits is a fourth of that damage. The problem is that's harder to do in your head. So I think it's easier to say a quarter, succeed or fail, round up or down, depending on the circumstances and just make it up, right? Like you, you, in your head, keep up a general idea. What, what does shield mean? Shield is essentially the equivalent of them having disadvantage. So if you assume because it's a minus five, right? Their, their, their AC just went up by five. Uh, so shield should mean that they get hit. Now, on the other hand, if they are a wizard and they didn't have shield up, that means their AC is relatively low. Like four, if you were to attack 10 skeletons against a, a wizard and the wizard had an AC of 15, the skeletons have a attack score of four. That means out of 20 times, they're going to hit 12 of the, no, eight of those 20 times, right? So, you know, four out of 10, right? So, you know, instead of 2.5 out of 10, they're attacking four. So you'd say three, and then if they get shield, you go two, right? So, yeah. Anyway, my point, well, I'm, random, I'm rambling all over the place. Uh, randomness, right? Random town events. I love this stuff, right? What hap- what's currently happening in the town? You know, it's the, the, the town people are, are, it's the day of drunkenness. They're all horrified. Uh, it's sunny, but there's a cyclopean behemoth rising. That's a bad day. It's cool though, right? You can write a whole adventure about that. Uh, and then dungeon monster tables. So this, I like this one, but this is my example. And I'm going to use my own work as an example of how I don't like it. This isn't enough, right? That's saying like, oh, okay. So they're on their fourth level. Like, let's, let's pretend it's the cogs, right? And I just say, hey, I want to we'll get back to the actual adventure that I'm going to talk about today. I got my dice. Let me pull out my dice here. So they're going to the cogs. And they are, uh, the, we'll, we'll assume that the cogs is a fourth level dungeon, right? That that's roughly the equivalent of a fourth level dungeon. I'm kind of cheating because the characters are fourth level. But we'll just assume that, like, you know, the dungeon difficulty itself is around that, that, that fourth level. So then we roll a d20. Uh, I got a 14. That's going to be pretty high. So that means I, I go to dungeon table three. Uh, this is table one, table two, table three. And then I roll a 20 on that. Eight. And I get a specter, right? So the problem with that is what about it? How many? And what's going on with the specters, right? And I can make something up. I can be like, well, it's a lost specter of somebody, of a, maybe it's a Warforged specter, right? Like that got killed in the, in the cogs and it's angry, 
right? And it's raving around and now they can like try to role play with it. I don't like that specters don't talk. Um, so I'm having my specters talk, and, you know, but they could try to find out like what happened to this thing. Like maybe they see a dead war fort. She's like impaled on a spike that went through the wall and there's a specter that's there. And maybe if they do some kind of holy, so as you can see, like I can come up with something, right. But is it, wouldn't it be better if I rolled that and it said, uh, and obviously this is Taylor Debron, right. But it says an, a, a specter rises from a, a war fort, an ancient war forge impaled on a spike and, uh, and demands revenge or demand, you know, or, even you don't even have to say the demanding part, right? That now you have something like maybe if we like sanctify or try to find out more about what happened to this warforged, the specter won't be so angry or it'll, it'll come to rest, right? You can come up with stuff like that. So a chart like this isn't bad, but better is having a few words that kind of help shake things a little more. And that's where I think like Waterdeep City Encounters getting all the way back to the conversation that started a long time ago. Waterdeep City Encounters, I think, has those like nice one-sentence things, as does the Eberron book. I wish I had more of them. Um, where the 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 uh, Encounters in Eberron, I think, is a really good experiment. It's more than I need, right? I'm not going to really keep that on hand like I did. When I was running Dragon Heist, I had the City Encounters book with me all the time. And anytime they were traveling from place to place, I just roll one of those and see what came up. And it was really fast and easy. The other one, I have to read like a page worth of stuff, and that's too much. Two sentences is better, in my opinion. No one asked for my opinion, but there it is anyway. Uh, let's talk about my game, because I got things to do, right? So we are, let me drop over to uh, Sublime here. What texture am I using? Everybody asks, I'm using Sublime. Um, uh, Baldur's Gate Gazetteer and DIA is awesome too for small encounters. I'll have to check that one out. So I, I, I I'm, my characters are already out of Baldur's Gate, I think. Uh, oh no, you know what? I don't think I ever really read the Baldur's Gate Gazetteer because I've like I read the Baldur's Gate, the original one that came out with uh, Murder in Baldur's Gate. Uh, DIA is uh, Descent into Avernus, the most current hardback D and D adventure. Uh, that's it's called Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Yeah. So, um, my, in the last session, 24 minutes in, and I'm actually talking about the game. So in my last session, the characters made their way into the cogs and it was fun. Uh, I, 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 I tell you like as a DM, boy, I love dungeon delves, right? Um, this is the map that I took from, um, the adventures, the adventures in Sharn section of the Eberron source book. Uh, these are maps done by Dyson. And I said, I'm just going to use this map. And my general idea, so I was kind of filling in the rooms as we go. Uh, and if you saw last week's show, I sort of had some ideas. But I generally have a feeling that it's going to be in this upper room. I don't know if you can see my mouse. Probably not. But if you look at the room, let's see. I'll zoom in. Oh, that was terrible. So this series of rooms right in the center of the screen with the beds and the tables and the chairs, I think this is like a secret meeting room of Cavella of the Dask. This is where it's like a safe room, right? And it's not, you know, she may never come back here again, but she's coming here now. Her people set it up. They've got guards there. And the goal is to like sit down with the characters and say, let me tell you a little bit about your friend Lido Skull, right? And what he's, what he's doing and what's going on here. And she has a secret agenda too. Uh, but they have this like stage here with this big open arena. And I think this is going to be pretty cool uh, for an encounter because this is where Ferdinand the Bull is going to be. And uh, Ferdinand um, is a bull that's painted silver that's hanging out here eating like 
stuff from a bucket. And the characters, I don't know what the hell direction the bull, the the the, the gorgon is going to come from. Um, but uh, when they get into this room, uh, Ferdinand the bull is going to be there. They're going to charge by a gorgon, and then Cavella and her people are going to come out here and kind of watch the situation and be like, "Ooh, you know." And they're going to place bets on the characters and stuff like that. I think that will be. I think that will be fun. Um, anyway, what happened is the characters came in from this lower area. They heard a were rat in here. They tried to negotiate with a were rat. <laughs> one of my, one of the players just got his copper rings of the Orum. He is now an official member of the Orum. And when he was talking to the were rat through a peephole, he took off his, one of his rings, one of his copper rings and showed it to him. And the, and the rat took the ring. He showed it to him with mage hand. He like floated it in there with mage hand <laughs> And the rat grabbed it and ran. And everyone else was like, man, you just became a member of the Orm and you already lost the rings. Like, you know, and he's like, oh, we got to go get him. So they're chasing this were rat. The were rat makes its way down this long hall on the south here and then gets killed by cockatrices, one of which eats the ring and then starts to fly away. And so now they're chasing cockatrices and they got into this room here, this lower left room, and the cock, they, they're battling a couple of cockatrices. They get in here and there is a emerald claw ghoul assassin, ghoul spy, and it killed the cockatrice and it's staring at the ring. And this ghoul, uh, this ghoul spy has a whole bunch of rings that she likes. So she's like, huh, a ring. And then the character's like, stop her. And then a bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of other ghoul spies show up and start attacking the characters. So they beat those guys down and kill them. And then they're wandering through this hall and they decided to go up this right-hand side. And down in here, they got attacked by death dogs. So they were making their way down this, hallway when they got attacked by death dogs and i think it was right around there uh where we ended i can't remember what the oh god i'm terrible what the strong start was there was something but as you can see they're really close to the gorgon area so i have a feeling like they're you know it's gonna end up uh in that it's gonna end up in that area um so that you know I love dungeon crawls because they're easy, right? They're easy to prep for. There's a good dungeon crawl. Like, you know, if you look at this map, right, the map is a big map and it's got a lot going on. So it's not like the characters don't get to make choices, but it's also a refined area. And I think that that, you know, that really works. Um, you know, so, uh, uh yeah, uh Dyson says, awesome. The death dogs I suggested made it. They did, yeah. We had death dogs. Death dogs is a great, a great suggestion. So it worked really well. Um crafty wear rats, yeah, stealing rings. And that was kind of fun. And I felt a little bad because like you're kind of picking on a player a little bit, but sometimes, you know, it's worth picking on a player. My camera's too high, isn't it? There is that a little bit better. Now you can see my mic, but oh well. Um so they um yeah, so it's just it's kind of easy to run, and you can you can do a lot of role playing, and you can do a lot. You know, dungeons have all of the things that um, it has all the pillars of play in it, right? You can definitely have role playing opportunities. You can definitely have exploration opportunities. It's really good for exploration opportunities, and of course, you can have combat. So dungeons to me are just a great environment. The problem is like you can't just do dungeons all the time, right? Like you can't go from dungeon to dungeon. You can certainly you could almost sort of break up an entire campaign around what are the dungeons that you go to. And if you look at some campaign adventures, that's kind of how they, how they work out, right? They sort of have 
a series of different dungeon dungeons and then the the sort of story that takes you know the story that takes characters to dungeons and and what makes a dungeon well a dungeon is really just like a not a, a, a location that isn't safe right like any location that isn't safe is kind of a dungeon so if you look at um uh what was the adventure the the adventure in ghost of salt marsh um salvage operation that salvage operation was a dungeon crawl in a boat right it's a it's a haunted boat that you're crawling through and that's fine right and that's different you're like oh i'm on a boat so i mean on one side like dungeons are a core component of D D. I mean, joe you know the course it's half the name right and the other thing is dragons um i don't have any dragons though so obviously they're key to the game um but I think he can overdo it too. Like if you just went from like dungeon to dungeon to dungeon, I think that's a problem. That's why I think like having things like the the dinner party of uh, Leto Skull, but then in the dinner party you go down into his vaults, which below, which are like a dungeon, right? They're non they're not a, they're a non safe location. Um, anyone can be a dragon. Snark Knight says in Eberron. I, I I think I gotta make sure to put some dragons like a dragon of Argonesse in, isn't there? Dragons aren't played out enough. Yeah, that was actually a common complaint of D anD. Um, for 40 years, right? Was that you call it Dungeons and Dragons, but dragons are rare. They're too hard to see and too few adventures have them. And you know what they did? They came up with Dragonlance, right? They said, we're going to make a whole campaign world that's nothing but dragons. Like, ah, dragons all the time. So, you know, now my camera's too... Uh, the problem is I was slouching. So, um, uh, yes, they came up with Dragonlance. Um, and that, and that kind of put the dragons in there. So I love running dungeons. Like I'm used to running dungeons. I love them. I think there's another kind of key message, especially for homebrew campaigns for me, uh, is that the nice thing about dungeons is they're relatively solid affairs. Like I have that map and I know what that map looks like. And I know where the walls are. I know where the doors are. I know which directions they can go. It, it kind of makes it into a real thing and I have to fill it out, but it's solid. And when I do something like, the crazy dream sequences that I ran for, I don't think I even talked about in the show, but if the characters ever go there, I might talk about it. Um, but I, I had them go to the wreckage of the North wind, which was the ship that Leto skull hired to go to Zendrek and get his giant dragon shard. And I had all of these weird dream manifestations on the ship. So as the characters are exploring the ship, they were taken to Zendrek and saw what happened there when the character, when the, expedition tried to get the shard and they saw all this crazy stuff and it was fun um uh but i had to do something weirder because i was like i'm not just going to have another dungeon crawl through a ship plus i just did you know ghost of salt marsh and, and one of my players is like are we seriously doing ships again and i'm like you guys went to the ship so um john four hey john four says uh dungeons provide players clear direction choices and purpose wildernesses and cities are sandboxy and don't provide clear clues like that yeah and i think that that's a real key that when we're running more open events like dinner parties right you can almost assume like a a, a wilderness and a city but you could also have like a a social event like a dinner party and this is something i'd learned and i think i talked about previous episodes if you're going to run a dinner party you better have reasons why the characters are at that dinner party they should want to be there the players should want to be there and they should know what they're doing there and why and what they're trying to accomplish during that com- during their conversations with people during their you can still I, I had all three pillars at the dinner party, right? I had them, they were conversing with all the guests at the dinner party. They were looking at Lido Skull's place and figuring out that he's got a bunch of fake Zendrek stuff sitting around. And then Null showed up and attacked. So I had like all three 
pillars in there. But yeah, when you're doing wilderness and city, the key is like, if you're going to give them a sandbox, you need to give them direction some other way. Why are they there? What do they want to do? And even if you're running like a West Marches style game where the players really determine their own course and direction, you still want to put the seeds in front of them and be like, well, there's those sewers that you heard about. And, and, you know, there's that woman who said that, you know, her crown was stolen by a kid who then had whiskers and ran into the sewers and, you know. But you don't have to do anything with it, but there it is. And then there's those old crypts, right? And people don't go there anymore. But they say that there's a powerful sword that, you know, is held by a knight down there. So you can, you still, even though if it's a city, you know, and there's all these places, you could still like mark notable landmarks and then say, here's a notable landmark. And here's a hook about why the players might want to go there. I think that that's, I think that that's pretty important. Anyway, 34 minutes in, let's talk more about my game. So uh, let's start with the eight steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Starting with number one, who are the characters? So our characters for this game are, we have a group patron, which is um, House Therask, uh, the, the, the Finders Guild. That's a critical component because my other group is a member of House Kenneth. And um, they have a different motivation to do what they're doing. Uh, one of the things, I forgot to mention this, is when they were exploring the ruin, if you see that lower left door, that vault door, um, they found that door and it was ancient and it was protected by glyphs of warding. And it had a sign from like the kingdom of Galifar before Sharn had even been built that said, do not go down here. Like herein lies death and madness. And that was um, old Sharn, right? That is a door that leads to old Sharn. And I had them figure that out. And they were like, we totally need to go down there. Like, we we got to go down to Old Sharn. Like, they got excited about it. And you're like, huh, okay, should, maybe something should be down there, right? Hmm. Um, but I love this idea. And I kind of, I like it from, like, a Dark Souls standpoint. Dark Souls has, like, lots of places where, you know, it takes you some work to get down there. And then you go down there and you're like, holy cow. Like, this is where, you know, this place hasn't been touched by a living being in, you know, 5,000 years. And yet it's still crawling with undead. So that could be kind of a neat, you know, a neat place. Um, you know, this old Sharn. Like, what's the vile power that exists down underneath old Sharn? And, you know, so I don't know. Maybe I should try to find a way to throw a hook down there about something that they would actually care to receive that's down in old Sharn. And then maybe I'll make it like a really hard place, right? Like, maybe it's a seventh level place. It's not a fourth level place. Maybe it's a, you know, it could be really tough. Maybe they have to come back here. Like, what if I have them go all the way out? And they go out and do all this stuff, but then they have to come back to Sharn, right? They get a key, right? And and but the key is far away. And until they get that key, they can open it up. And like, sure, it's a bunch of goblins and knuckleheads up top. But when you go down there, it's liches and death knights and you know horrifyingly powerful undead that existed from the days of of Galifar, the fall of Galifar. Um, start dungeon the mad mage behind the door. Yeah, uh, non literal. Here be non-literal dragons. Uh, it's the kingdom of ghouls. Yeah, it could be the kingdom of ghouls, right? That'd be pretty wild. Could have a whole event there. Um, I could tie kingdom of ghouls, kingdom of the empire of the ghouls into uh, Eberron. Uh, that'd be interesting. But, but empire of the ghouls starts at level one too. Eh, everything starts at level one. <sighs> okay, so characters. You know, um, so the characters are. Da, da, da. Let's see if I can close that window. No. No, I don't need that. Um, so we have uh, Chi, Jerry, 
uh, who is uh, a gnome artificer. Her father was a famous hero. She has a dodecahedron. When, the, when you're smart enough to open it, you will, uh, and is a house civis latent dragon mark. Learned that the Emerald Claw broke into her father's grave and took her, took her bones. Took her father's bones. Um, find her father's word to open the dodecahedron is like a big character hook. When that, and, the, and inside that thing is what leads to Claw Rift. Uh, Shift, played by Juliet, is a Warforged warlock packed to the undying. She was a human experiment of life uh, extinction, uh, extension and expansion from House Kenneth. Uh, tried to find humanity, is alive, but doesn't know why. Uh, she does know that, and I can kind of remove that because I know a little bit more. Still meets with House Kenneth rep. Missing 24 hours of her life. Uh, her rep is Vincent de Kenneth. Uh, still meets with House Kenneth rep Vincent Kenneth. Uh, and she is missing 24 hours from her life. She doesn't know what happened and why. Uh, she learned that her heart is a kyber crystal powered by necromatic ma- magic from Karnath. So it was a mixture of material. Uh, so some adventure options. Uh, her life was fueled by Lady Romero of the Emerald Claw. High-level Emerald Claw members know who she is. Uh, may have to face Lady Elmara. What if, uh, I, I think a nice hook here is that uh, Lord uh, Crash is Shift's brother who went wrong. Yeah, right? Oh, I love See, we can tie things in. Tying things in is important, especially in a home campaign. You have no excuse not to use the character's as major plot vehicles for things that are going in the adventure because the adventure doesn't exist. You're making it up. So I think that's cool. So Lord, who's Lord Crash? People want Lord Crash is the leader of the Emerald Claw in Sharn right now. He is a bone knight um, and leader of the Emerald Claw. But I think he is a warforged bone knight. Uh, and he was built, again, by a mixture of House Kenneth and, and, uh, and, and magic from... Um, who did I just say? Uh, from Carnath, and went wrong, and was um, and Vincent de Caneth made him just like it made her, and he realized like what he is and what she is, and and you know, says like this is the way, right? The, you know, the way is following Elmaro. Lady Elmaro is your real mother, and you should follow her. So. Fun. Now it's not just a battle against a dude. Saber, played by Brian, a long two shifter month and monk and bounty hunter, called to the temple of Balinor and the Fallen, uh, with a shifter panther in the uh, you know, I don't know what that is about. Let me get rid of that. Uh, belongs to the Order of the Four Winds, a group of shifter monks from the Eldine Reaches. Uh, the monk order wants him to fulfill part of the draconic prophecy. Is sort of a clue. Shane Husk is a hobgoblin war- wizard, crime novelist, sage, wrote a best-selling book about the Mornland and wants to see if uh, if he can do it again. Uh, previously served uh, with the heirs of, De- of Dakan as a military strategist and historian. See the background. Ancestors fought in the Great War. So he knows. Uh, so there could be something. Um, so I can pull on this Dakan military strategist that the, the goblin, the old goblins are what exist in that, in, in old Sharn. And if he can get down there, you know, he could learn a lot. So there could be something. He is a hobgoblin wizard. So maybe there could be another, you can always tug on a, another hobgoblin wizard. He's also a copper ring member of the Orm. So maybe the Orm tells him about the um, staff. 
once held by his ancestors in old Sharn. Could be a staff of power, right? It's time to drop a staff of power in here. Um, so there's definitely uh, clues in the books help him find Claw Rift. Great book exists. A, a great book exists in old Sharn. Oh, yeah, a great novel exists. All right, so a book he could write. Uh, Banner, and that tugs on this old Sharn idea. You know, I think I can get them excited about that. Um, Banner is a warforged paladin of the becoming god, fought for years in the last war, but grew wary with being used by the fleshborn. Um, with war's end, he linked up with Lords of, Lord of Blades, uh, ministering in a warforged ossuary in the Mornland. Uh, he abandoned the Lord of Blades because of his rigid, because of the rigid dogma, and single minor cruelty towards freshborn. Bada bada bada. I got too much background here. Um, but he met with the Warforged, Godforged Warforged priests, and he's trying to get involved with the Godforged. Uh, he, he can get involved between the Godforged and the Lord of Blades. Godforged is sort of a small sect of Warforged who believe that, the war, that they are creating a new god. Uh, and then finally, we have Zarentir Delandir, uh, uh, Tempest Cleric, Storm Sorcerer, Independent Scion. He was kind of, he's sort of the black sheep of the family and was sort of kicked out and joined with the Finders Guild because his family, who's uh, from House, uh, what's it called? Uh, House Larendar. Uh, so he met with his dad and he swiped dad's key to the Goldbright airship. Father's an Orm Silver Ringer who disapproves of Zarentir's current. Yeah, so they had this scene. Um, so an adventure option is steal the Goldbright. So we got stuff there. Um, so the strong start. Uh, I got 18 minutes now to come up with the whole rest of the adventure. Um, so what event could they hear they could hear like a roar um you know they could hear sort of a roar from another room as they hear some other uh um i think that roar uh and they met a did I write it down? I hope I wrote it down. Did I write it down? The NPCs. Uh, sometimes I write it down. The flying scones are our characters. The ebon cowls were some, and tall tongues are hunters in it. So, uh, a member of the tall tongues. <laughs> I love that name. Uh, and a member. Member of the tall tongues adventurers. Um, falls in dying and uh, saying the bull, the bull, and then dies. Um, what am I talking about here? So one of the fun bits that I wrapped on top of their mission to go down into the hub was that this is the time uh, at the at the time the same time they're doing it is also the the parade of the hunt. The great hunt is going on. And in the hunt, monsters are set free in the cogs and in other places, and people have to go down and hunt them. And some of the monsters that were set out there are cockatrices and two-headed uh, dogs, uh, death dogs, and a silver bull. And they saw the silver bull, and the silver bull is down there. The fun bit is that there is a silver bull down there named Ferdinand, 
who doesn't fight and doesn't do anything and will run the minute there's any like hostile action. But there's also a real Gorgon down there that uh, House Kenneth dropped down there. Um, so that is the fun, strong start. And I think that's a fine, strong start. I don't need to go further with that. Uh, scenes. I did the parade of the hunt, the hunt. Uh, I told, I did this down in the cogs and old Sharn. Um, Ferdinand, the fake Gorgon is down there. Um, so these are probably things we're going to do in the locations. I think we meeting with Cavella, right? So those are the scenes. So, right. The scenes as, as we have them are, uh, the roar, um, crawl to the arena. Uh, Ferdinand. I don't know how to spell Ferdinand. The Gorgon meeting. Meeting with Cavella. Those are today's scenes, right? Quick scenes. Um, so I have this adventure options, which is kind of like, uh, this is important in a, in a homebrew game. I find this to be particularly important because um, we don't have like outlines of where things are going to go. No one has provided us an outline. So we have to keep our own and we always need to be thinking like two horizons out, right? So we have like the immediate horizon. Like, you know, if we think about the horizon line, the horizon line is the bounds of the today's adventure. Like what's going to happen in today's adventure. And what I think is going to happen in today's adventure is that they're going to meet with, um, they're going to, they're going to do all this nonsense in the, in the hub. And then they're going to meet with Cavella and then they're going to get out. Right. I, I have that general idea for a game today. And remember my games are about three hours long. So that's about enough time. That's probably not quite enough for three hours. I bet you more would have to take place. So we'll see. But the crawl could take a couple other scenes. We might have some other interesting things happen with the crawl. Um, So that's one horizon out. But in order for me to drop the right seeds and the right clues for them to kind of get further, I already need to be thinking one horizon out from there. And and if you think about it in the sense of a circle, the, um, the area out is much more than the area in right it's not linear it's pi it's two two pi pi r squared so i have to look i'm not good at geometry so you you have to look out which means my horizon my second horizon has to be much wider than my first horizon focused on the next game is great and and i i'm a big proponent like if you're going to worry about game worry about the next game don't worry about the whole campaign on the other hand you really need to think one almost one adventure out to make sure that you are able to drop the seeds into this adventure that lead to the next. And I, I first really got this idea from running curse of Strahd where I knew that like, if they're at the, um, if they're at the windmill now, where are the places they could potentially get to next and what's going on there? And it was just enough for me to, to, to figure that out. So that said, um, I don't need much the night. So I have to go a whole horizon out, but I don't need near as much detail about that extra horizon. I just need enough detail to throw in to this game that will steer them towards that. Right. And they already have some. So the adventure options are meeting with Cavella. That's, that's today's right. Uh, they, uh, they know they are going to need, I hope someone produces a neat stat block page for Ferdinand, the fake organ. Um, I pretty sure I can reskin a regular, uh, monster. Uh, from there. Um, so uh, acquire the Toma Colseer from Tower 6. They know about this. 
they actually voted for that one. So a couple of people voted for that. So they know they have to go there, right? Investigate the Northern Wind, the ship that brought back the Dragon Shard. They, that is an option. I've had some players who were interested in that. Visit the City of the Dead to visit uh, Zizu's burial areas. What the hell is Zizu? Oh, chi- the cheese burial areas. Hunt down the Emerald Claw in the City of the Dead. That's really the, the, the key. And then I think the other one is um, uh, find the key to Old Sharn. Something about Old Sharn. Uh, I, 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 I want to throw something in because they were excited about it. I kind of find it fascinating. I don't know how I'm going to drop Old Sharn in. I'm not sure I'm going to drop Old Sharn in yet. So I'm going to cheat today because I only have 10 minutes. Normally, I would say dump all your secrets and clues and start over again. But today, we're going to go through the ones that I already have and see, are they still relevant to today's adventure? Kyber's Gate is part of the Runes of Goblin City. It was abandoned thousands of years ago. No one knows how deep it goes. The monstrous inhabitants of the district have no love for treasure hunters, and it's a dangerous place to explore. I copied and pasted that right out of the book, I think. But it's still good. Cavella wears an eye of the daughters of Sorakel. That's important. I forgot that. One of the daughters is blind but is a seer. Uh, Lito Skal is also a member of the Dask. He's Cavella's brother. Lito Skal has gone his own way. The daughters are worried that he's threatening their leadership. Lito Skal wants a weapon of terrible power. He needs uh, the Eberron Shard from Zendrek. He needs the magic to harness the power. Uh, he needs the uh, the location of Claw Rift. Um, Lito is uh, bankrolled by the daughters. Lito has become a gold ring member of the Orem. He then broke contact with the Dask. I'd say with the Droam, right? The Knolls acted on their own when they attacked Leto's villa. All they, they, um, all they were supposed to do was recover Simon. The attack was unwarranted. Knolls, right? Uh, the Emerald Claw is trying to capture the crystal and use it to destroy Sharn. They're operating out of the City of the Dead in an old tomb and of House Kenneth. I think that's right. Cavella and the daughters want the Book of Kulsir, and so too does Leto. Those are great secrets and clues that are still totally relevant for today's game. All of them. And, and none of them are known yet. So I am going to not change any of those. Uh, I might add a uh, ancient... And I forget. Somebody in chat help me out. Um, what is... Uh, who are the old? There's a Dakani. What? What the the group of goblins from long ago? Um. Yeah, the goblins have a lot of factions. I'm looking for like the old empire of goblins that existed. I think it's Dakani. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm gonna copy and paste it right from. Hey, look, I even spelled it right. Uh, they predate even Galifar. Uh, Galifar agents tried to uh, investigate the ruins and failed. They have since sealed it up. Um, Shane Husk has lineage back to the the Connie Empire that now Sharn. 
perhaps Shane Husk, um, Emperor. We're going to make some stuff up, but people love it when you do this. Uh, I need a goblin name, a cool goblin name, names. Uh, Something like dumb stone, not stone. Uh, Rakos. Emperor Rakos Husk was one of the goblin emperors who ruled over the Dakani of... Um, how many centuries ago? It's like tens of thousands of years ago, right? Hundreds of thousands of years? His tomb lies in old in old Sharn. That's fun. I don't know what it has to do with the central plot line, but it's fun. And I bet if I throw that hook out there. Some of these hooks are stronger than the, the hook of the adventure. So you got it like, huh, what if I let it go? Uh, oh, wait. Uh, this is getting into Seekers of the Ashen Crown territory. Maybe I have to read up on Seekers of the Ashen Crown. I could steal for it. Empire fell like 5,000 years ago. So like um, 10,000 years ago. Uh, is that tentacles with a cat? So... Yeah. All right. So I got some good secrets here. Five minutes for the rest of the game. Kyber's Gate below the cogs run by the Dask. So we know about that. We know about old Sharn. Uh, ruins of the old city from thousands of years ago. Destroyed by dark magic. Goblin ruins sealed up Vile Power. We just talked about that. Cog Hub. Borders Kyber's Gate. The cogs and old Sharn. Meeting place of Cavella and the Dask. Part of the locations of the hunt. Uh, that's cool. Uh, locations. So what are the things that we have? And I think did I already... I think I already used some of these, but I'm going to go ahead and keep them all. I made my own like a little random table here uh, of locations of Cog's Hunt. Pistons, these are sort of like features, right? More than locations. Features of the Cog Hub. Massive pistons, goblin ruins, dead warforged workers, deep shaft to old Sharn, fire event, dead kyber cultists, petrified hunters, huge warforged hand. Altar of Fury, Dark Six, Deity of Passion and Revenge, Dying King's, Dying King's Dark Lantern Agent. That is not a location. That is a that is a, a person. Um, and I think so. This is because I'm in the locations, but I have down here um, encounters, rival hunters, Gorgon, Ferdinand. Uh, were rats. We're gonna. Re- oh, I already did were rats. Death dogs, goblins, hobgoblins, dask ogres, cockatrices, lost cog workers, mechanical spiders, emerald claw ghoul spy. So I already used some of those. Um, I'm gonna replace one of these, I guess. I'll replace the were rats with the dying king's dark lantern. And then we have the what monsters of the hunt. We have death dogs, cockatrices, and the gorgon natives. We have were rats, goblins, hobgoblins, or ogres of the dask. Cavella has an oni. She has Medusa bodyguards and ogre muscle. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know about what kind of magic items they want. Um, 
so we do i want one other interesting thing that they could find in cog hub that sits between all of this thing um a living like what about a living machine i think a living insane uh, no it's not a person right um a Dakani relic would it just be lying around here though because like people wander around here so i don't know about you could have like a Dakani mark <coughs> water went down the wrong pipe so <clears throat> what is a i need like a low this is like a feature uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat again and we're gonna go to uh lazy Dunder master workbook and we're gonna go to monuments items monuments and we're going to roll roll some stuff so i'm going to roll three d20 and a d100 oh for the d100 we have an 18. for the first one we have a seven an abyssal i don't know about that 17 desecrated 19 um oh let's see 18 was the item a shrine. Uh, I think I already have like a, a – do I have a shrine of uh, – I have. A, I already have an altar of the dark – one of the dark six. Um, uh, well, the dark six is – that's not. So we could have a shrine to uh, what are the uh, – one of the – what are those guys called? The Daleker. forget what they're called um something like that and i'll figure out which day liquor there's like six day liquor i'll roll i'll roll a die and figure that out if i need that one so i've got that so this helps me sort of fill in rooms right because that map if we look at it somewhere uh there it is we you know we got a lot of rooms and as they explore some of these rooms although i think they're really only gonna hit like one or two so I don't think we're going to have a lot, uh, but they're going to go in here. There's something in here that'll be kind of interesting. And depending on what direction they go from here, they'll see something that's interesting. So they could explore some rooms and I just want these lists to help me fill in some of the details of those rooms. Um, I moved that guy already. So I'm all set there. That's just helping me fill in rooms and I, I can either roll or I can decide like what's an interesting one. Um, but we'll play that by ear. Uh, NPCs, I'm pretty well set. Right, I don't think I have any new NPCs that I need to introduce here, um, and I mainly kept notes. And then for monsters, I've got the the monsters, and we're all set here too. I don't really need, I really don't need much uh, going on here. And um, yeah, so you know, eleven oh one. I got about a minute left, um, and then I have my Avray initiative, and I have my one dimensional text based combat markdown map. Uh, which helps me show off uh, that stuff. Uh, and you can see where I had like the, this is like the Avre command to have a ghoul spy, right? So instead of a claw attack, it was slashing at you with a black blooded covered, black blood covered dagger. So, you know, that was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I feel pretty good about this. It's going to be conversations. And I think one of the interesting things about Cavella is that Cavella is working for the Droam, 
And she has this, the daughters, the daughters of Sorakel who work for the Droam, and they uh, are watching uh, this meeting, and they want the same stuff that Leto Skull wants. They just don't want Leto Skull to get it. So that's going to be a very interesting conversation from a from a NPC standpoint of like, you know, will they understand exactly what's going on? You know, who's watching is going to be really neat. Um, departing words of wisdom: Don't eat moldy cheese. Deep thoughts. Um, you can actually carve the mold off, depending on the cheese. Um, so I think. That is going to be a fun part. Like the, the meeting with Cavella is going to be a fun part and it's going to reveal a lot. One thing my group really digs is they like it when they get sort of blatant clues, right? They, not that they don't like mysteries. They like mysteries that are uncovered and sometimes they, they like it when it's, you know, really clarified to them. Like, oh, so that's what the hell Lido Skull is doing. And you can tell like in my mind, I'm slouching again, in my mind, uh, Lido Skull has been doing all this stuff and no one knows, but like you guys and me, right? Like the, the players don't know. So when they find out that, oh, that's what Lido Skull's been up to, right? Like when it fills in those blanks, it's very satisfying, but it can be frustrating until that point because like, I don't know what the hell Lido Skull's up to. I don't know why he has all this stuff. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a bad guy that's going to turn out to be a good guy? Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And, and early on, it can be frustrating because you don't have those answers, right? And that can be tricky. But hopefully there's enough interesting things there, enough hints about what's going on. Like when they watch Lido Skull go into his front porch and start blowing, you know, knolls out of the sky with lightning bolts and cones of cold. And like, whoa, whoever he is, he's powerful. He's not a pushover. You know, when they see somebody, like, who's that? You know, you want that mystery, um, but you you want to make sure they get enough information to be interested, but not so much that they have all the answers and they don't have anything to give them later. So it's real tricky. Well, I think I am all set for today's game. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today. Thank you all for, for hanging out in the chat with me and for uh, helping throw some ideas around. And I will see all of you guys next Sunday. Uh, I'm going to try to figure out if I can do an online uh, prep for um, my... Uh, for my for my Descent into Avernus game because I think that would be something people want to see. So thank you all. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.